So for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about being a citizen in God's heaven. And so we're going to cover various subjects. And so this morning, we're going to talk about conflict or God's grace. And Pastor Mark and I were talking. He said, well, you know, you got Mother's Day in there. We got Memorial Day in there. We got July the 4th in there. I said, well, those are, you know, Memorial Day is we talk about conflict and those that gave their lives. And July the 4th is a conflict. And I said, nobody has more conflict in their lives than moms, too. So let's just go ahead and get started with something that we can show that God actually uses in his favor if we'll just focus on him. So as we look at being a citizen of heaven, let us work, look at our relationships with God. There's a lot of books out there that talk about relationships. But you know, there's only one book that talks about your relationship with God and truly lets you know exactly what it takes to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you've got your Bibles, if you turn to the third chapter of Philippians, I'm going to read the 20th verse and I'm going to skip down to the uh, fourth chapter of the first verse. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. We stay true by keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on this world. This world is not our home. Our home is eternity in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to, if as best you can, to stay focused and hear why we struggle to become citizens of heaven. Uh, he will spend some time, I'm sure, I pray, with each of you doing some soul searching, maybe about painful reminders about how we struggle to be citizens of heaven. But God promises to be with us always and that we are his children and he desires for us to be with him in eterni for eternity. So can conflict keep us from God? Can conflict draw us closer to God? And the answer to those questions are both yes. It's how we respond to conflict. That's our free will. How we respond to conflict that makes the difference. We should always focus on God and not the circumstances, not the situation, and most of all, not ourselves. Billy Graham said this, embracing conflict and working through pain can be a joy when we know that irritations and frustrations can lead to growth in the re-energizing re of ourselves and others. Hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. The Bible is about God and his love. It's also about decisions made by people that he had called and that he corrected. We begin with Adam and Eve and it runs throughout Revelation. So there's nothing new about conflict and how God uses it. There's nothing new about his people that want to do what they want to do, and God corrects them. Look at Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, the 14th verse. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to or taken away from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before, because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Another way to say this is that humanity cannot alone fulfill God's purpose. We cannot make him, if we don't make him first in our lives, 
his purpose cannot be followed. When conflict is raging, we need to keep God in perspective. The world will always be in a state of unending conflict. Lawlessness conflicts with the law. Intrigue and dishonesty conflicts with truth and honesty. Intolerance is at odds with tolerance and understanding. Lust and pleasure conflicts with priorities and purity. Godlessness is at odds with righteousness. And disorder is at war with decency and order. If sin exists, conflict will continue to rage. The Bible mentioned the enemies that we have on this earth, and I'm just going to talk about three of them real quick. The first one is the world, the next one is our flesh, and then the third one is the devil himself. They combine to be a powerful foe against us while we're on this earth and in the lives of God's people. Worldliness is an attitude of the soul, never lifted upward, recognizing God. It gazes manward and not Godward. It's majestic, uh, I'm materialistic. It's sensuous about our lives. It's centering its attention on gratification of human appetites and desires. It's completely blind to the things of God. Therefore, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. The second enemy is the flesh, which speaks to the sins of nature. The apostle Peter wrote, I beg you, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And then Paul writes in Romans 6, 11, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We no longer are slaves to sin. And the third enemy is the devil himself, the commander-in-chief of the powers of evil. He accuses, he tempts, he deceives, and lies in working through his allies, the world in sin. He works on us each and every day. We always say that God is at work in all things. Don't put the devil short. He is also at work anytime he gets an opportunity. But we can know that there's even peace in conflict if we turn to God and to Jesus. You know, there's some people say, no, my life's going great. I don't feel like I have any chaos in my life. I don't feel like the devil is chasing me right now. Be very, very cautious. For the devil may have you right where he wants you at that point. Because you see, everybody has something bad or messed up going on in their life just about all the time. Contentment depends upon our relationship with the Lord, not with our environment. Do you think the world will ever be at peace? Do you think we'll ever see a time where there won't be armies or war? We know that Jesus is coming again and all that will end. But till then, how do we cope? History, I'm afraid, does not give us any reason to think war will suddenly end. Conflicts and war are raging all around us, and they raged in the beginning with Adam and Eve and with Cain killing his brother. They continue to be conflicts between Moses and God, between Joseph and his brothers, the prodigal son and his brother and his father, between Jesus and the apostles, and it goes on and on. But if we read the Bible and understand God's love and grace, we know that he brings out victory of all of those conflicts. 
Jesus warned that even as the end of, of the present world approaches, he says this, Matthew 24, 6 and 7, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against, rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. It has gone on from the beginning, and it will continue to go on until he returns. We are in this time as it is for his purpose. So what's the problem? The problem is just not economics or racial conflict or social injustice, although those are serious issues. The problem is deeper than that. However, the basic problem is within our own hearts and within our own minds. Would wars happen if we were not greedy or power hungry or filled with envy and hate? Therefore, we need Christ because only he can change our hearts and fill us with a true peace and love. He alone gives us hope for lasting peace in our hearts and in our world. Amen. Where do we see conflict? Well, a better question may be, where do we not see conflict? Christians often have conflict during church services. There are those who sit in the pews every Sunday morning singing that their God is so high that they cannot get over him. Their God is so low that they cannot get underneath him, that he is so wide that they cannot get around him. But then they go back home. And in the midst of conflict, in the midst of relation issues, they don't think God can put those back together. And this is quite a contradiction. In fact, it's more than a contradiction. It is sinful to God's word. Given the fact that our own strength is limited, it's not hard to understand why marriages and families and relationships are not surviving today. But we do not have to rely on our own finite powers. In Philippians 4, Paul tells us that Christ is our enabler. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when Paul wrote those encouraging words to the church in Philippi, he was not saying that he could fly or do much of anything on his own, but he was promising everything Christ commanded him to do, Christ would enable him to accomplish. You know, if you had an athletic ability that Hank Aaron had, you could hit home runs. If you had the music ability that Mozart had, you could write some wonderful music. If you had the mind of Einstein, you could work out com complex problems. In other words, if you had their ability, you could accomplish what they did. That is what Paul is saying. Christ gave Paul the ability to accomplish God's will, that will that he commanded Paul. When God commands something, each believer has the ability through God to make it happen. We cannot do it ourselves. When you play basketball by yourself, you are awesome. You can score as many points as you want to. You can put some of those moves on that you see those NBA players put on. But everything changes when someone else gets on the court. Your ability is tested when you play without opposition. Or it's not tested when you play without opposition. It is tested when you have opposition. And that opposition steps up. And I promise you, the devil will step up. This morning, I was sharing with Pastor Mark and Pastor Zeke. Uh, this morning got off to just a real horrible start. And there were several things that were going on. And as we talked, we realized 
why wouldn't the devil try to get in the way of God's message this morning? Because after all, we're baptizing two people. We're singing joy to him. We're going to do communion to, to God. So why wouldn't he want to try to get into the way? You see, conflict shouldn't destroy relationships. They should show the power of Christ within us. Because Christ never asked us to do what he has not already given us the ability to do through his power and within his plan. Do people ever disagree? Sure they do. Do Christians disagree? Sure they do. Do parents and children disagree? We saw Linda this morning not doing what her son was trying to tell her that she needed to do. So we see those disagreements all the time. In fact, what percentage of conversations do you have where you agree with the other person 100% of the time? You see, we live in a world of discontent. And while we play the blame game so well, is it the evil one's fault? Remember that old saying that we used to hear on TV, the devil made me do it? No, you make a choice to stray away from Jesus. You see, the devil's a liar, a deceiver, and a troublemaker, and he is out to cause trouble each and every time he can. He's out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your family, your relationships, and that includes the relationship you have with Jesus. If we can get people to disagree, if he can get people to disagree, then he will. He will use every dirty tool he can to cause war, to cause fighting, to cause discontent. There's conflict in in families, there's conflict at the workplace, at church, in the government, between co-workers and, in, and between employees and supervisors. Conflict gets so bad and gets so personal that pride steps in. And when that steps in, we often walk away from family and friends and work and even church. John 12, 31 describes the devil as the ruler of the world. When not when, actually, uh, we know it's going to happen, so don't think this is not going to happen. The enemy will step in. He is the ruler of the world. He sends his flaming arrows of temptation, doubt, lust, anger, despair, and desire for vengeance in us. But we have the ability to stop them. First John 5, 4 says, tells us that as a child of God, we can defeat this evil world not on our own power, but by the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We must stand firm. We must have courage as God ensures the victory. Satan may tell you that you're not worthy, and we truly probably aren't, but we remind, he will remind us of times when we have disappointed God, when we have strayed away from God. But so often those times are times that we have sought forgiveness and we've been granted forgiveness we have truly repented and so my suggestion to you is when the evil one reminds you of those times thank him because what it should remind you of is the love grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has granted you scripture tells us that God doesn't remember those anymore we should move on from that in God's power and glory we must trust him all the time. You know, it's easy to trust God when things are going right. When you're in the light, it's easy to trust God. It's hard to trust God in the dark. 
But that is what our faith is based on, is trusting him all the time. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. God gives us an opportunity in, in conflicts to see him at work. You have heard it over and over again from right up here that God is at work in all things and at all times. There will be challenges. Look at Peter. Satan asked to sift him. Look at Job. Look at those cases over and over in the Bible where there is testing, and testing brings deeper faith, draws them closer to God. Testing grows on faith and deepens our relationship with God. During those times, ask God, what is he doing and how you can help him? So often we ask God, why? God doesn't do well with why questions. It's okay to say, God, I I, I don't understand this. But I know that you've got this. And I'm going to trust you. And so how may I help you for your purpose to bring you growth and glory? 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul writes, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. Paul is emphasizing when he says, I pre- uh, appeal to you, brothers and sisters. He's appealing to everyone, everyone in the church. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to lie in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church, rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. It's like the church of Corinth. They were all wearing the same uniform, playing in the game, but their opposition was to one another. And that brings about defeat. You see, they're arguing about what position they should be playing and who's the best. Harmony among families and co-workers and churches is beautiful, and the devil absolutely hates it. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to have differing opinions, and it doesn't mean that we have to agree all the time. We can agree to disagree about some things, but not to the point of being divisive. Our focus must always be on Jesus and his purpose, the purpose he has for you. Speak and act in a way that reduces disagreements and increases, increases harmony. I encourage you to read the 15th chapter of Acts, the first 35 verses talk about disagreement within the church and how God uses that to bring salvation to, human, to entire humanity. But if you look at beginning in chapter, I mean, in chapter 15 in verse 36, we see a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two godly men. And basically what it says is after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back to each city where we previously preached the word, the Lord, and see how the new believers are doing. And Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly because he had felt like John Mark had deserted them and walked away from them. And this disagreement was so sharp that it separated Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took John Mark, and they sailed to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, and they left. And the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. 
It's hard to believe that Paul and Barnabas, with all that they were doing, would have a disagreement. Actually, they had a matter of disagreement of opinion. The irony is that Paul would later depend upon John Mark. Opinions are often windows that the devil can use to climb through. Today, we have gone so far that we begin to establish opinions and worldviews as the truth. We hear, it's my opinion, therefore you do not have any right to tell me that I am wrong. You know, when we tell somebody that they're wrong, that's usually when the fight starts. Because everybody wants to be right. We spend most of our time in conflict by wanting to be right, by wanting to win. Here's an example of the church. One Christian said, worship time is the most important part of the service. I think everybody should stand up. I think everybody should clap. They should sing very loud. Another member said, no, God's house should be a house of prayer. The other man said, no, this should be a house of celebration and joy. The other said, scripture says that we should be still and know that I am God, followed by a comeback of we should make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The fact they're both right. What is wrong is when the devil intercedes and makes them think this is the only way it can be. It has to be my way. And that's when conflict causes us issues. You see, we're all different. Male and female are different. There's also differences between backgrounds, upbringing, ages, parents, interests, abilities, and talents. So we will not always agree on everything. However, we can agree that we have one Savior, Jesus Christ. And while our walks are different with the Lord, we need to understand that God is working for his purpose in all circumstances and desires for us to follow him. The problem is that we disagree because we want to be right, as I said before but we don't want to be wrong. And even if we find out we're wrong, we play the blame game so well, we said, well, I was misinformed, and we blame somebody else. And that's just pride sneaking in. Look at Jesus and the money changers. Jesus was absolutely livid with them. And Jesus was righteous. The money changers were unrighteous. So many people say they were wrong, I read one scholar who said, well, they were unright, so let's just deal with righteousness and unrighteousness. The bottom line in so many conflicts, because we become selfish and we become prideful. Conflict leads to anger, and now the devil is not just crawling in the window. He's standing in the middle of your house. Our anger and self-centeredness are not pleasing to God. We do things we know to be wrong. Uncontrolled anger is dangerous. Our emotions are no longer our own. Conflict, however, is solvable. We should focus on the right source. Do not let the devil fire up your emotions that it becomes your truth. Simply seek God and his purpose. Pray. Working on our citizenship to heaven means we need to be Christ-like and we need to listen. Then and only then can we speak the truth according to God's word. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, 
Love does not demand its own way. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, Again, I say, do not get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone and be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. We all must admit that we've had those moments when we have been an instrument of the devil. We have those moments where we've had evil thoughts. We've had those moments when we've done evil. And we've had those moments where we believe we have the right to judge one another. What happened with Paul and Barnabas when they did not agree? The good result of an honest, loving, gracious conflict is that God overrules. Both men had honest differences of opinions. They had no ulterior motives. They were not selfish. They loved God and their hearts belonged to God. And they wanted to do God's purpose. Therefore, the superior results were this. The deserter, deserter, John Mark, was reclaimed by God. And a new disciple would become a great minister in Silas. Working daily on our relationship, our citizenship in heaven, know that you are desirable to Jesus. And he wants you to be with him for eternity. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. You are on God's team. You are a first-round pick. What position do you play? The position that God puts you in. Remember this. God is the coach, and he's the general manager. You're not. So often we decide that, God, I'm a pitcher. Let me pitch. And God may tell you, you're a right fielder. I suggest it is that you go to right field. Scripture says that he has prepared a place for you. He has a purpose for you. And he means those things. People can see God's love in us when we serve Jesus as the Lord and when we live in harmony with each other according to God's word. We are citizens of God's kingdom and we are members of his household. He gives us the way that we fight this conflict. In Ephesians 6, 14 and 18, in the essence of time, I'll paraphrase some of this. He tells us to stand your ground. In other words, to stand firm, putting on your belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Folks, we should be wearing that belt of truth all the time. For shoes, you put on peace and hold up a shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Make prayer your life and your life a prayer. While living in this world, God needs to share his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. If you have a prayer life and you live your life as a prayer, you'll be his instruments. Be the Bible that others see and hear. When conflicts and disagreement comes up, remember Christ has no equal. He has no rival. He is Lord of all. He is the one that fights and wins and battles all the battles that we face. We are here to be his slave for his purpose. And we'll fulfill that role 
we will receive our citizenship in heaven. It won't be without a struggle, for we have struggles on this earth. So this morning as we take communion, remember his desire for you to belong to him, to be a citizen of heaven for eternity. So repent of any sin that you have in your life or any wrongdoing that you have. Seek him in all situations and join him for his glory. Turn your challenges and conflicts into opportunities for his purpose. Psalms 51, 16 and 17 reads, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So as we go through these next weeks, remember that we're going to have conflicts. We're going to have disagreements. And it's how we handle those disagreements. And if we handle them through prayer, knowing that Christ is standing beside us. So often we have conflicts and people tell me, well, you know, if Jesus had been standing there, I would have handled that different. Well, he is. He's standing in there in those disagreements and those misunderstandings. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be kind. And I promise you, those challenges will be opportunities. And as he did with Barnabas and Paul, it will be his victory. And you will be drawn closer to him. Your faith will be deepened. So as we close this morning and get ready for communion, I ask you to just clear your heart and your mind. If there's some burden that you've been carrying, some conflict that you've had within your family, don't let the devil use that. Let Jesus use it. Let him, you help him help someone else. We are here for those lost sheep. We are here in a time like this with so much chaos going around us, we forget that God is in it. He is right in the middle of it. There's nothing that has surprised him. So on this glorious day that we have, that the kingdom has celebrated two new members, let us not disappoint him this morning with our offerings with our communion with him.